Hello and welcome to season 18 of the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. In this season, we are continuing our conversation about the new book, Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest from Sabbath to Sabbatical and Back Again. And we're actually emphasizing the sabbatical part of the book, the second half of the book. We're talking about when Sabbath is not enough and the experience of realizing that even with a Sabbath practice, you can still get to a place where you're so tired that you need a longer season of sabbatical. And sabbatical is also a biblical principle that God gives us uh, for a deeper level of rest than what a weekly Sabbath can bring. So in this episode, we're talking about boundaries and we're talking about boundaries as a way of protecting what is precious. That's what boundaries are always about. And I know that boundaries are sort of a psychobabble term, you know, that we don't all love it anymore because it, you know, came out 20 years ago. <laughs> but the idea of boundaries, though, is actually really important because in bound with boundaries or limits, we are actually choosing to put some boundaries or some hedges or fencing or something around something that's really precious to us that needs to be protected. And my sense when I was practicing sabbatical, the two sabbaticals that I've had, is that the sabbatical is such a precious, precious gift that only happens several times in a person's life. There's something about it that's so precious that if we don't put boundaries around it to protect it, there's every possibility that it could be violated and that we could actually allow other concerns to seep in and that with a lack of discipline or a lack of boundaries, we could actually miss the precious gift that sabbatical really is. Because what I discovered in my sabbatical is that my resting deepened and deepened over time, that it took a long time for my RPMs to settle down. It took a long time for my hormones to get back in balance. It took a long time to get my emotional life back into a more calm and peaceful place. And if I had allowed anything to come in two or three weeks in or four or five weeks in, I would have taken myself right out of the place of peace and rest that God had unfolded for me. So I am really, really passionate about this idea of boundaries around our sabbatical times to protect what is precious, a precious gift that only comes to us several times in our ministry lives. And so for this topic, um, I'm going to be talking with Pastor David Alves. I actually found very, very few resources on sabbatical when I went on my own sabbatical, actually only three. And David Alves' self-published book, A Sabbatical Primer for Pastors, uh, was a book that really was helpful to me, and I'm really grateful to have him as our guest on this episode. And we are going to talk about the boundaries that we can put in place in our planning to make it possible for sabbatical to be the deep kind of rest and replenishment and restoration that it can be. David is a very experienced pastor. He served in pastoral ministry for 25 years, and he's also been an itinerant minister for 12 years. He's a graduate of Asbury University and Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and Regent University, so he knows whereof he speaks. And so please enjoy this conversation with Pastor David Alves. And then at the very end of the episode, um, I'm going to invite my friend Phaedra Blocker to come on with me, and she's going to talk with me about an experience that we shared during my first sabbatical when I had gotten my, myself away for sabbatical, and then the murder of George Floyd took place, and we had to really discern together as a board in the Transforming Center what we were going to do and whether or not we were going to respond or whether or not I was going to stay on sabbatical and whether or not we would continue to be faithful to our period of dormancy. And so Phaedra and I are going to have a conversation about what that was like, and I hope you enjoy that one as well. But for now, please enjoy this conversation with Pastor David Alves.
Well, welcome, David. It's so good to have you with us. And for those who have looked at the book, they they know that you were an important source for me. Your book meant a lot to me as I was writing my own book, and I'm just thrilled to be able to have this conversation with you today. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so grateful and, and humbled. Thank you. So, David, um, tell us a little bit about your own journey with sabbatical in particular, how you took your first sabbatical, what influenced you, how you prepared for it, what it meant to you. Just tell us a little bit about your own story with sabbatical. Sure. My my first sabbatical, it, w- it was a, a, a comedy of errors. I, <laughs> I, I knew I needed a break from ministry. Mm-hmm. I had been involved in domestic and international ministry uh a lot of um, a lot of weight, a lot of spiritual warfare mm. uh, on the, especially on the mission field, and um, I just was worn out. Marcy was worn out. We had never taken a break like that, so we really didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have any literature available to us, mm-hmm. so at least we didn't know of any. Um, I had heard of ministry sabbatical, but just um, mostly were was familiar with academic sabbaticals. Uh, so I started to, you know, I just took the break and I decided to use it as a work time too. So I didn't even know it was a ceasing mm-hmm. or a Sabbath, you mm-hmm. know. I worked on my b- a book and I worked on sabbatical primer for pastors because I thought, you know what, I need to write a book since I can't find one. Yeah. And so that, that kind of launched us into our first one. And we, we, we went to England and we did some ministry over there. And so there were no boundaries in that mm-hmm. sabbatical. We didn't really know what we were doing except vacationing and resting and spending a little bit more because we already were spending some alone time with the Lord. Marcy and I had a uh, we didn't have and a, Marcy's a, your wife. Yes, so I just Marcy make sure was that my we, wife yes. for 42 years. Mm-hmm. And um, we were in ministry together for so many years. And so we were able to set up our own schedule where we would go to a park together and we'd go off alone for 20 or 25 minutes and come back and share what we had written in our journals or whatever. So we were doing that. But now we would set a more intentional time to go, go apart and do that. Mm-hmm. But we didn't really know what we were doing. Yeah. Then... I came, we came back to ministry ref, refreshed somewhat, but then I hit in, in my ministry around 2010, somewhere in that area, 29, I had a, a, a TIA, mini stroke, and um, I was in desperation for some time away. And so, um, I, and I noticed that when I went, I, I went to a, a retreat, uh, we carved out a time to go to a retreat together. Um, in uh, Colorado, and at that retreat, um, your books, well, actually, at the time, it was in, Invitation to Solitude and Silence, and I, I'm not sure if Sacred Rhythms was out then, but your book was featured at the retreat. It, mm. it was, you know, standing up, and there were piles of them, and so I, I thought, I'm going to grab hold of that. That sounds great, you know. Mm. I, I I was into that, but um, not, not in a, a, a Sabbath weekly thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I read it and uh, devoured it and noticed that it was desperation that you mentioned on, I think, page 29 mm-hmm. or something that caused you to also uh, be slowed down by the Lord and um, got your attention. Mm-hmm. So I, I really resonated with what was going on in your life at that time, too. So so we took a, 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 a mm-hmm. an intentional sabbatical. Mm-hmm. How long had you been in ministry when you took your first one? Uh I don't know, 20, 20 something years. Wow. Wow. No wonder you were, you were ready. (laughs) Wow. 
David, one of the things that I found most helpful in your book was the way in which you distinguished in the Hebrew language between rest and cease, ceasing. Um, I think a lot of times we think of Sabbath and sabbatical as being primarily about yes. rest, and it is. That's really important. But it's almost like there's an early step. You have to stop first, right? You have that's to cease. It. And so you did some really good work with language and with the translation of those words. Can you say a little bit more about the distinguishing of resting and ceasing? Sure. Uh, in a word study uh, of Shabbat that I, I was um, was undertaking, I saw the uh, second definition in Jesenius's um, Hebrew Chaldee lexicon was to cease, to desist, to leave off. Um, mm. And um, in the absolute, it, it talked about to cease to be or to have an end. Um, and so the, the um, verse that they referenced was Genesis 8.22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. That word is Shabbat. And and mm. the whole idea of the sa Sabbath every seven years, the, the, the field was to lie fallow. No digging in the field, no, no crops planted, nothing mm -hmm. happening there. It, you ceased on that land to let it rest. So the, I saw then, I, I started to develop the idea that rest has to be a symptom uh, or a result of the ceasing, because obviously God needs no rest. It says He never sleeps nor slumbers. Um, so I, I, you know, I kind of at that point realized that what I needed to do is I needed to cease my ministry and cease the things mm -hmm. that were my regular work. Yeah. Oh, uh, I did want to add one thing about that. Uh, Victor Hamilton. Uh, Dr. Victor Hamilton wrote this. He said, and I'm quoting, the basic thrust of the verb uh, is, when transitive, to sever or to put an end to, and when it's intransitive, to desist, to come to an end. This may possibly indicate that the Sabbath is the day which, quote, puts a stop to the week's work, end of quote. Mm, that is so yeah. helpful. When I took my first sabbatical, I... I didn't really cease or stop because that was not in my, that, that idea wasn't even in my head. Um, mm -hmm. My yes. idea was, I think the more academic idea of a sabbatical, which was a project. And uh, the yeah. project was going to be divided up between some off time and some downtime and relaxing, but I was focused on a project. It was during that time that I started realizing, you know, there's really not, anything out there. The only thing I could find was one thing from the Alban Institute. That was the only book that was available, clergy renewal, a clergy um, sabbatical. And I thought, you know, I need to find out myself what this is about. So did you do your second one differently then? I did. And Tell us about that. Yeah, well, that's that was to become a ceasing. And um, and I we went to uh, Sunscape um, Pastors Retreat um, in um, Divide, Colorado. And uh, at that pastor's retreat, uh, your book was featured. And I, I grabbed hold of that. And it, it, between that and my Bible, by the way, you owe me for for highlighters because mm. all my highlighters were run out of. I started thinking, <laughs> you know, the whole book should be highlighted. But uh, so I hope if any of your listeners haven't read your book yet. Invitation and you're talking about Invitation to Solitude and Silence. I am. Yeah. And that mm -hmm. was the first book. Invitation yeah. to Solitude and Silence. And um, 
And as I got into that, you know, it so resonated with me because I, I was, I had, I had that going to some degree, but it was not tied to a special day or Sabbath. Um, so anyway, I, I, I kept doing work on, on Shabbat and the Sabbath and ceasing. And, um, and then I, I wrote a book that I would have liked to have read. Uh, in the uh, mm -hmm. sabbatical primer for pastors, specifically for pastors, because I knew that pastors, um, a lot of them were like me and didn't really have much information. You know, one of the things I was wondering was, did you on your first sabbatical have the idea? Because you say it came from, it flowed from Sabbath day. You mm -hmm. were practicing a Sabbath day already, but it sounded like you were, you crashed uh, in invitation, it sounds like you crashed and you were just running and, uh, you know, running, running, running. And, and you finally crashed and sl God slowed you down. Mm -hmm. um, now, I didn't know if, if you were practicing a Sabbath day. Regularly no, or? Mm -mm, not then. Yeah. So, I mean, so what the way I see all this in my own life as it unfolds is that I did crash in my early 30s and mm. from there was invited by a really good spiritual director to practice solitude and silence as a place of rest in God, as a place of openness and receptivity, moving beyond all the, the devotionals where you're studying your Bible so heavily and you're praying around the world in 30 days or less and you're reading all your self-help books. And, you know, yeah. I am a pastor's kid and I know quiet times, but they were anything but quiet. Yeah, they were right. still full of my own human effort and human striving. So I began to learn about solitude and silence as a place of rest in God. And I do believe that for myself anyway, that solitude and silence practiced in that way began my own Sabbath progression mm. because at that time I would not have been able to take a whole day and be restful in God for a whole day. I was doing well to get 10 minutes in the beginning and then a half an hour, but I could not have in, at that time even envisioned taking a full day for a Sabbath. And so that's why I've experienced Sabbath keeping in my own life to be a progression from smaller amounts of time, solitude and silence where I practice resting in God. Then a number of years later, because um, I actively resisted Sabbath keeping for a very long time, even mm -hmm. though I was practicing solitude and silence, because I'm an achiever. And so Sundays were a really, really good day to achieve stuff and to make up for what I didn't get done during the week and yeah, right. <laughs> things like that. Yeah. And I and our family life was complicated at that time. You know, we had teenagers who played sports on Sundays. My husband's a banker and his bank was open on Sundays. I couldn't even open the can of worms to think about a full Sabbath day. But then eventually in my early 40s, God really knocked me off my horse. Um, yes. And I won't retell that story now, but I began to really consider the Sabbath day. And I, I think that if I hadn't been practicing solitude and silence as a place of rest in God, it would have been hard for me to know what to do with a full Sabbath day. And then I've practiced Sabbath keeping for 20 years or probably maybe, you know, maybe 15 to 18 years hmm. until finally um, I was offered my first sabbatical. And I also feel like my practice of Sabbath as a place of rest in God, as a place of completely and fully unplugging, as a place of delighting myself in God's good gifts to me, a place of true ceasing of my work, 
that that prepared me for the longer season of sabbatical. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have fully understood the dynamics of sabbatical if I hadn't been practicing Sabbath because it's the exact same dynamics, except that you're extending it. Sabbatical is an extension of our Sabbath practice. And so that's how I've experienced it in my own life. Started small, then more and then more, and then finally really jumped into the deep end of the pool and took my sabbatical. And at least for our board who gave me my first sabbatical, we were really, really clear that it was all about ceasing work and resting, and that if I were to have tried to write anything of a publishable nature, I'm writing all the time in terms of my journaling and stuff like that. That's a primary way that I work with God. But anything for publication, even meeting with editors or talking with publishers, I didn't even do any of that, which for me is pretty significant, you know, because I'm in touch with my publisher all the time. But I would have been violating not only what my own soul needed and what God was trying to give me, if I had done any of that sort of work, but I also would have violated the gift, the Mm. gift that my board gave, that my community gave. My whole community worked hard to give me that sabbatical and they sacrificed and they reoriented their whole existence to give me this time. So if I had violated our intent by working at all, I would have actually squandered one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given. Mm-hmm. And so I think that and I think that's why I resonate so deeply with the distinction that you make that sabbatical is really about ceasing, ceasing our work so that we can rest. Yes. It's almost like there's a cause and effect there, right? Absolutely. That we see so that we can rest. And that's, that's right. what you said. And so that's why I just found that so helpful. And I think your biblical and theological clarification of that is very significant for pastors as they get clear. Is this an academic sabbatical where I'm working on projects or is this a true resting sabbatical, which is more consistent with the biblical and theological understanding that we have? Right. So I thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. And that was central in my choice of the um, of the subtitle of the book was how Mm -hmm. to initiate and navigate a spiritual renewal leave. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I was refreshed um, my second time around because I knew uh, I knew how to to uh, to be with the Lord. I knew and, and I I had that in my background, but I didn't have a day. You know, I didn't have a day that was set apart mm-hmm. uh, because I think, too, in some of the more conservative evangelical settings, um, you know, the Sabbath day is not it's not even thought about, really. That's been my experience. You know, there's a day of worship, but not a Sabbath. And Um, that's exactly why the first half of the book is on Sabbath, you know, is because it has it is completely lost to us in Protestant evangelicalism. And we've lost our connection to the deepest roots of our faith, which is Judeo-Christian. It's not just Christian. It's Judeo-Christian. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus and his disciples were Jews. And they practiced the practices that went along with being Jewish. Yes, they did. You know, but we've lost it. I don't I don't know exactly how. We want to cut ourselves off from our own heritage, but somehow we have. And the Sabbath practice is in our heritage. It's ours. It belongs to us. That's right. And Jesus never, never ceased the Sabbath. I mean, he never Mm -hmm. said there's no more Sabbath. That's right. So that that was never part of his ministry. He he was practicing um, all of the things that he was fulfilling in him were the fulfillment of the law and all of the all yeah. all of that. So, so let's um, talk about boundaries for a minute. Then, what did you diff- do differently on the second one? Then, how did you draw some boundaries around work? How did you do better at ceasing on your second sabbatical? Yeah, well, the first thing I did was decide what is my work. 
Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Very helpful. It's tough because writing I love, you know, mm-hmm. and yet it's work. We both know that. And, and yet I considered I'm, I'm going to stop my pastoral ministry because that was really the thing that was, was exhausting me the most at that point. I'm going to cease from that, and I'm going to cease from from writing as far as project-oriented mm-hmm. writing. Uh, I was still writing in my journal because that's how I communicate mm-hmm. with the Lord. So uh, those are some of the things that, that I was doing, and I the boundaries I set up were uh, I had elders at, at our fellowship, and the elders were very capable. They could preach and teach, and just as the biblical definition for an elder talks about, capable to teach. So I, I wasn't concerned. I wasn't tied to my role uh, there. And so it was a little easier for me to switch that off. But I, you know, after I became the, um, uh, the team leader for our association of churches with other pastors, I noticed that they were having a lot of problems with this issue of boundaries. Um, one particular pastor, friend of mine, uh, to give you an example, he, he leaves to go on sabbatical, and he he calls the lead elder and says, "Well, how are things going at the church?" He oh. says, "I'm not going to tell you." Right. <laughs> so he called his daughter, and he said, "Honey, <laughs> how are things going at church?" She said, "Dad, you're not supposed to be talking about this mm-hmm. with me, and so we're not mm-hmm. going to have this discussion." That's good. Yeah, it That's really, good. It was great. It was great. Another pastor I, I've worked with, you know, he he insists he's been on a sabbatical, and I said, "Dave, you have never taken a sabbatical." Mm-hmm. because he would he would do the similar thing. He would go off and he had to be connected. And I said, guys, listen, that this is an opportunity for the priesthood of all believers. You know, you want to to involve people in ministry and you don't have to be at the center of everything. That's right. So those boundaries were a little bit easier for me uh, the second time. Well, a lot easier for me the second time. Mm-hmm. And um, our, our, our boundaries that we talk about with pastors when they're going on uh, sabbaticals. I love the fact that uh, what you're indicating there, too, is the importance of the community. Like the community had to participate in keeping those boundaries in place, didn't they? Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The church was very good about that. And I mm-hmm. and I saw, like you, I saw this as a love gift yes. from the congregation to me. And I needed to be responsible to disconnect. Uh, and that was hard, you know, I, I, disconnecting when you love the people and you love their, their right. family. And, but you have, you had to do it if you're going to continue your ministry and be, yeah. you know, I, I was at the point where I really thought about leaving the ministry mm-hmm. uh, if I didn't do something. So I was desperate right. uh, for my sabbatical. Well, uh, and I think that really connects it uh, strongly with what's going on in the culture right now, the, what they're calling the great resignation, you know, that, you know, up to 50% of pastors right now are considering leaving ministry amazing. because yes. they're exhausted after yeah. this COVID season, doing everything in different ways than they know how to do. The church has shrunk. They're trying to figure out if they're going to get everybody back. They're tired at a level that, that nobody's prepared for. Right, right. Um, and so even the fact that you're naming the fact that you're not even sure you'd be in ministry today yes. or would have been able to complete your ministry before um, moving on to what was next for you if you had not had your sabbaticals. And, I, and that's where I think the practice of sabbatical is going to be essential for us moving forward in the church, Absolutely. that we give pastors what they need on the other side of the stressors yes. that we've had during COVID, but the real stressors that still exist. We you know we still live in a culture where there, the, the divisions are now on the surface that were beneath the surface. Um, we are still, you know, in a time of political unrest, racial unrest. Yeah. 
uh, all sorts of things um, that really require a lot of the pastor and pastors are exhausted for all sorts of different reasons now added on to the normal ones that's right so david you also have another book on how congregations can give the gift of sabbatical Mm -hmm. to their pastors would you say just a little bit about how the congregation can minister to and bless the pastor and planning for sabbaticals What, what is important in how congregations can actually help establish the boundaries and help pastors to get what they need in this way? Well, it's unusual that you ask me that question because I would ask you that question Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we're pretty laid back about how we do things. There's, there's not much formality to it. It's, it's more like a sabbatical policy will Mm -hmm. be developed by a church. And we put some examples of that in the back of our, uh, in the back of my book and, and the leaders get together and work with the congregation through communication. A a good example is the church that I now attend, that uh, Family Bible Church in Loudoun, New Hampshire. And that that church, what they did was the elders put together for the congregation uh, what a pastor's sabbatical was, why he needs to take it. And then they instructed the congregation as far as, you know, we're going to try to let Steve and Cindy have their time alone and and they're going to be gone for three months and your needs will be met by us. You can contact any one of the elders. And so they they shared that in uh, printed material. And then, of course, uh, the Sunday uh, before he left, they gathered together for prayer and they sent him off with the laying on of hands and that kind of thing. Um, so that that's kind of the way that that we've done things. But um, I'd like to know more about what you're thinking along those lines. Well, one of the things is that it's that the idea of sabbatical is embedded in in their call papers, you know, like it's already there. Like when they first come to work at a church, sabbatical is already embedded as one of the. Um, one of the things that's being offered to them and that every seven years or four years, I've even heard of some that are every four years, but that it's written into the terms of call that there will be a sabbatical. I think budgeting, I, you know, if, if a pastor is, you know, put under the pressure of having to pay for everything that's extra on sabbatical, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a real burden. And And it could mean that they have the time off, but they can't do the things that they need and want to do because those things cost money. And so to have budget, like in your churches, David, do they have a budget? Our conference of churches Mm -hmm. actually gives pastors $2,400 to Mm -hmm. go on their sabbatical. Um, They they only ask that they communicate on occasion uh, if they feel up to it or want to do that. If Mm -hmm. they want to send a little update that can be Mm -hmm. read to the congregation, they'll do that. But um, Mm -hmm. as far as finances, yeah, they develop a budget. These are churches that have sabbatical policies, but see the majority of our churches didn't have any sabbatical policies. Yeah. And so this was brand new to us. Yeah. And so that's why when I wrote my book, it was a primer. It was just like, this is an introduction of how to get you up and running in a sabbatical here because, um, you know, I think our churches thought like the apostle Paul said, you know, I'm burning myself out, (laughs) pouring myself out like a drink offering. offering, Is that supposed to be a good thing? I I can't figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Right. So, yeah. So I thought, well, well, wait a second, you know, we need to slow down. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know if I'm answering, you know, the question the way you expect Mm -hmm. or want to hear it, but yeah. um, 
Well, and I think that's the same for the Transforming Center. When I had my first sabbatical, we hadn't had a policy either. Mm-hmm. You know, we all came to know together that it was needed. Yeah, um, that's it. And so that was the way we began. And so I don't want to make this any more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah. But I know that there were a few things that were important. First of all, they didn't make me fill out some big, huge proposal. I've seen some proposals that people have to do, and that would have killed me. That would have crushed my spirit at that point. I just, it was very simple. It was really just an expression of desire and need and what I would like to see happen. They received it. They, it wasn't even approval. It was, they just wanted to hear from me and I was able to offer that. And then, you know, we were very, very clear, and this is now codified in our own uh, employee handbook, that, you know, what the purpose of the sabbatical was, that it was for complete rest and complete unplugging. There would be no work. There was also money that was set aside, which was really helpful and felt like part of the gift. And then there was all the work that I did to um, make sure that our staff knew what they were supposed to do and who was supposed to do what while I was gone and, you know, what the chain of command was. And then also, you know, as a board, we talked deeply about how they would function also if something that needed their attention came up. And so there were there were those kinds of things, but I feel like we learned a lot the first time. Yes. And then the second time we were a lot more ready. But I do think that even having it written into someone's employment agreement can actually, in the end, if we can get there, I think it should be there in your call papers or, you know, your employment agreement or whatever that sabbatical will happen at these intervals and Agreed. what's offered to one what's offered to the leader for their sabbatical in terms of resources. Yeah, Steve's, uh, Pastor Steve, uh, my pastor, his sabbaticals are every five to seven years. That's mm-hmm. in the policy. So, yeah. And he can determine that as to whether it wants, mm-hmm. he wants it to five, six, or seven mm-hmm. year. Yeah. And then he his, his pay is continued, um, all of that. So it's all spelled out in the policy. I'm not a detail person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I don't know all the details, but I do know that we've come a long way. And you know, one of the things that was very instructive for us or helpful for us uh, to even convince pastors that they needed to take a sabbatical in our tradition was Wayne Cadero's book, Leading on Empty. Mm-hmm. And um, so many of the pastors, I read, a pa- I read a passage from that at one of our retreats, and I noticed that two of the pastors had tears running down their mm-hmm. face. And I, you know, and, and, and we were, they were open to sharing. I said, Hey, what's going on guys? Mm-hmm. And one of the guys says, you know what? I just, he just described me sitting down on the curb and mm-hmm. crying yeah, because I just don't know where to go from here, what to do, you know? So it, it, it became a, a, a pastoral care thing among the pastors to get healthy because mm-hmm. we believed that healthy pastors lead healthy churches, you know, yeah. or healthy churches yeah. are led by healthy pastors. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be back again at the very end of this episode with David uh, to share what our souls want to say to God in response to the conversation that we had. But I want to take a moment here to share a conversation that I had with Reverend Dr. Phaedra Blocker about how my own boundaries and our boundaries here in the Transforming Center got tested early on in my first sabbatical. And Phaedra helped me to discern the right thing to do in that situation. And So we really can't uh, share an episode about boundaries without talking about a really practical experience that I had where my boundaries got tested. 
So you've heard from Phaedra before. She is a member of the Transforming Center board. She's been in several transforming communities. She serves with us in our transforming communities to this day. She is also the director of the Center for Community Care, Formation, and Vitality at Palmer Theological Seminary of Eastern University. And she's an affiliate professor in leadership and formation. She has 20 years of pastoral ministry experience in both large and small congregations um, and many, many years of experience in management and community relations. And so she's really a wealth of experience for us in this conversation. And so I hope you enjoy this conversation with Phaedra about an experience that we shared in trying to, to set and to hold our boundaries. Well, one of the things that's so important about sabbatical is that we do have some really strong boundaries around us to protect what is precious. And that's really what boundaries are. I mean, boundaries are kind of a a contemporary term, maybe even overused a little bit. But I do talk in the book about boundaries, putting boundaries around our sabbaticals, because it is a, a time that is so precious and it's fleeting. I mean, three to four months, a couple of times out of a long lifetime. I mean, it's very fleeting. And so to put some boundaries around this set apart time is really important. And one of the things that I experienced in my own sabbatical was that I got challenged on the issue of boundaries immediately. So with my first sabbatical, I got away, I think it was on May 25th. And the murder of George Floyd happened three days after I let go and got away into sabbatical. And so my husband and I were away on Lake Michigan, but we were watching some news and uh, we began to see that this, the murder had happened and that the whole country was exploding with feeling and emotion. Some of it was peaceful protesting. Some of it was violent. Stores were boarding up there. I mean, it was just a 24 hour intense processing of something in our country that was unthinkable and well it it is thinkable because it's happened so many times but it was more public because it was caught on video and so in that moment because I am someone who's out there saying things about important matters the question came to me I, I was so distressed by what was going on I my friend Brenda Salter McNeil she and I talked and paced and tried to figure out how to respond. And then I wasn't sure whether it was okay for me and for the Transforming Center to remain in this period of dormancy that we had established together as a board, that the Transforming Center was going to enter into a period of dormancy, which means that nobody else was writing. And I was on sabbatical, which meant that I wasn't supposed to be writing. And were we going to let this moment pass without anybody from among us commenting? So we tried to convene some board members. Phaedra was on the board at that time, but some of our board members were on vacation, and I did not want to violate their vacation. I was very mixed about whether or not we should violate our commitment to this period of dormancy in our lives. And so I reached out to Phaedra to say, what are we supposed to be doing right now? I want to talk to you as someone within the black community, because one of the most disturbing slogans for me was the slogan, silence is violence. And, of course, that slogan is saying that silence is complicity and that if you're silent and if you remain silent and you don't speak up, you're complicit with what's going on that is unjust. And so that was kind of the deepest part of my wrestling. And so I was able to get Phaedra and talk with her as someone within the black community to say, what should our response be right now? Should we stay faithful to the fact that we've put these boundaries around ourselves? Should we come out of this you know, protected place 
and speak out? What should we do? And so, you know, Phaedra, let's just pick it up right there and talk about what our interaction was like in that moment, because I appreciate so much being able to reach out to you. Can you speak to how you were feeling in that moment and how you spoke with me and what you advised in those moments? Yeah. So like a lot of the country, I was hurt and angry and not surprised, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we have been down this road so many, many times. I, in the reaction, and you never know, because this isn't even the first thing that has ended up on video that people have seen. And so part of the struggle and frustration, I think, in with with Black folks is that even when we show you on camera <laughs> that this is happening, mm-hmm. folks find ways to dismiss it, justify mm-hmm. it, twist it into something else. But this was just something different. This was just one of those moments in history where you know, something snapped, something aligned Mm -hmm. in a way that people took it seriously. I, when you asked me about, you know, do I need to come out of sabbatical and say something? Part of my response came from watching, kind of surveying the landscape. Mm -hmm. And it felt like all of a sudden everybody wanted to say something Mm -hmm. about justice. Everybody wanted to say something. It's like, okay, where have you all been? (laughs) You know, this is nice, but why did it take this? From an organizational standpoint, I was really not all that impressed with kind of a lot of the corporate responses because all of a sudden everybody had a Mm -hmm. slogan and a meme and a commercial and they were going to do this and they were going to do this and they had a manifesto. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, so everybody's marketing departments are working overtime here what is this going to look like in a year? And I think we can ask, ask credibly yes. ask that question for critique. Mm-hmm. So when I said to you, you know, everybody is talking right now. I don't think you need to say anything right now. It, it was coming from a place of there's a lot of noise, mm-hmm. actually, that I think really is just noise. Mm-hmm. And I would rather you not come out of sabbatical to make another statement that might get lost in the noise. Mm-hmm. I think that your heart around justice has been very clear. I think that you have stepped out in ways that a lot of folks wouldn't have stepped out who were trying to run and grow a ministry and organization that has had a predominantly white audience. And your commitment to do work within the center and through the transforming center for me speaks a lot louder in in terms of your position, your organization's position. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that you had that commitment. And if I did not see, and I know it's a slow, you know, it's like the work of God. It's It's the slow, long work of God, right? But our ability to work, your ability to plumb your own transformation in that direction, your own, the manifestation of your transformation in that direction, your willingness to collaborate and to listen and to think through what is, what is yours to do? And, and that is, I think, the question that we all have to ask in some sense or another is, what is mine to do? I didn't want your voice to get lost in all of the voices that suddenly had something to say. And in part because 
as much as I think the Transforming Center community writ large knows you, knows the center, I I think that there are some who don't know, who would not have heard it. Mm-hmm. And so better to wait till there's the noise settles and there is it's quieter to be able to say and do the things that are meaningful and are not just the marketing thing of the moment, but are really a demonstration of deep commitment and conviction to act, to not just speak, but to act. Mm -hmm. Did you have any sense at that time that also that we weren't called to, to violate what we had committed ourselves to? Because I knew that if I or anyone in our organization did speak out in that moment, that we would have to be present and respond long term. It wouldn't be just one thing. We would have to really be present to the conversation. And we had made this commitment to God and to each other that we were going to be resting right now in dormancy because we felt like that was essential for us. So for me, it took me to a place of really deep trust in God. I had to drop down to the deepest possible place, which I think we all have to do on sabbatical Mm -hmm. and on Sabbath is to say, God is capable of doing what God's going to do in the world without my active participation in this moment, because this is what God has, we, we discerned this clearly. And God knew, God knew that this was going to happen three days after we had all unplugged. He knew that, that, that he was going to be able to handle it without the voice of Ruth Haley Barton and without the Transforming Center being actively involved because we were in dormancy, right? So, I mean, I remember that being a really big part of what we had to discern as a board too. And do you remember that? And I do. And I think that you're right. I think, you know, we were so very clear mm-hmm. about what we discerned and the way that God even lined some things up mm-hmm. so that this could all happen in the midst of what had been kind of a tumultuous season for us, said to me that we need to be here. Like you said, God already knows what's happening. Mm-hmm. And, and if your voice, our voice had been required in the moment, I think that would have been clear. Mm-hmm. And the other piece of it is that, you know, we talked about as we were discerning that our you going on sabbatical, us going into dormancy for that time was something we felt called to model to our communities. And so to suddenly step out of that, to to respond to this, I think would have done injury to that. And also, would we have had a response or a reaction? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's <clears throat> because a, good a lot of the noise was reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know response does require going someplace deeper, asking those questions. What do I need to say? What is it mine to do, if anything, in this moment? And when do I need to do it? Yeah. So I I think that that's listening to God's invitations and to being aware of the invitations mm-hmm. that did not come yeah. in, in the midst is, isn't was critical. Well, Phaedra, thank you so much. I mean, I'm so glad that we could go over that experience that we shared, go over it together. I'm so grateful that I had you as my sister in Christ during that experience to speak wisdom to me and, 
and sanity. Because <laughs> I think, you know, in, part of it's just in the midst you know, of an insane. It, it, period, yes, right? exactly. Right. And so to be even even have you in my life to reach out to was a great blessing. And so thank you for your service in the Transforming Center. And thank you for your friendship to me. I really appreciate that. And it's been a joy to share this part of our journey together today. For um, me as well. Thank you so much. For me as well. Thank you. Well, I have to admit that it feels a little bit tender to go back over that experience together that uh, we shared here in the Transforming Center relative to my sabbatical, because it was really a tense and stressful time in so many ways. We all wanted to do the right thing and respond in the right ways, and I think God guided us, and I'm grateful for spiritual companionship and spiritual community where we can discern these things together. So thanks to Phaedra for uh, being a part of that for me. As we come back to our final moments with David Alves, where we're going to talk about what our souls want to say to God, I want to mention that there will be a couple of final questions over on Patreon with David that you won't want to miss. And so if you're not a patron already, please join us so that you can hear a couple of final thoughts and questions with him. And also I want to remind us that we have Sabbath journals now available and we're going to do a drawing at the end of the month where two patrons will receive a free copy of that journal. So you'll want to go over to Patreon and sign up to become eligible for that drawing. You can go to patreon.com slash transforming center. And now welcome to the last part of my conversation with David, where we share what our souls want to say to God. Well, David, thank you so much for the work that you've done. Your work contributed so powerfully to my own work and to my own experience of sabbatical. It was, as I said, one of only two books I had on my shelf <laughs> to you. even pull thank down, you know. So I appreciate your work so much. And so I wonder, as we conclude, there's a section in the book, um, in each of the chapters, what your soul wants to say to God in response to the content of each chapter. And I wonder, mm -hmm. what's stirring in your soul, David, as we conclude our conversation? Well, I'm just wanting to be there more for my pastor as he gets ready to mm -hmm. launch on his sabbatical in 23 yes. and to refine some of the things that insights that I've gleaned from your books and from my writing and my study mm -hmm. and uh, to help him and his pastor. I, it's interesting because after Marcy died and we were no longer on the road together and there were and I had retired from pastoral ministry, I thought, now, Lord, what's my ministry? And I felt like the Lord said to me that my ministry was to to minister to Steve and Cindy as a pastoral mm, couple. That's and, gorgeous. Yeah. So I'm hoping, mm. you know, and I've been part of the family, really. They, I'm with them for Christmas and Easter and everything. So they've included me um, and, and I and I want to be there for them. And uh, and I think that I'm going to be able to incorporate uh that that particularly that liturgical launching out mm -hmm. into their sabbatical for them. So yeah. I appreciate you sharing that in your book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, what's stirring in my soul is just a feeling of tenderness towards mm -hmm. all of us as human beings who really do struggle with the ceasing and, you know, the the true challenge that it is to us. Yeah. I think both at the ego level as well as at the level of personality is level of vocation, just how challenging it is to unplug in the ways that we've been discussing. And yet the image of a pastor sitting on a curb weeping because he or she is leading on empty yeah. um, makes me feel very tender towards those who are pouring out and praying that somehow whole communities can support you this bet. opportunity you for bet. our pastors and leaders. May it be so. Amen. Amen. 
And now for our listeners, I encourage you to do the very same thing. Don't just rush on to whatever is next in your life right now. But take a moment to feel your longing, to cry your tears if there's tears that you're having right now. Don't rush on to the next thing. But what is your soul wanting to say to God? What is your soul longing for? And take a few minutes to say it or to write it or to feel it or to cry it. And don't rush on. Create space right now for what your soul wants to say to God. Amen. Oh,